Thank you, worship team. I love that last song. We think about what it means to be surrendered and uh, that everything, to recognize that everything we have is from Him. And the Him is obviously God through His Son, Jesus. I was just thinking about that when we were singing. This is a part of a series that uh, we had decided on in January, uh, the vision, mission of the church, and, and then uh, what it means to give and be generous people. Uh, I'd like, if you have your copies of the scriptures, please turn them or find them in your phone or whatever you use to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. We're going to read a portion of both. I'll give you the background. Uh, let me first tell you that whenever I preach uh, in the past, I've told people, I've asked people, what does your right foot, your right hip, and your right hand have in common, outside of being on the right side of your body? If you preach about how people drive with their right foot, about how they spend their money out of their right hip pocket, or how they spank their children with their right hand, there tends to be a lot of controversy. Um, Preach about any of these sermons, and you get people coming up to you and saying, now wait a minute. And I I was thinking about that. I'm not going to talk about child discipline, Uh, uh, or how you drive. I am a bad driver. Um, I'm going to talk about money today. And why is it that when we talk about these subjects, people get this kind of flash of alarm in their eyes, and, and they... And and it's partially because maybe it's not been treated well in the past, but it's also partially because we tend to think, um, Tim Keller, I think, says in his book, Counterfeit God, says, money is a surface idol. It actually buys you, you, we think it's able to buy us the spaces of life that will make life comfortable and easy for us, which is ultimately our true idol, to find this life of comfort and ease. And so money is only a surface idol. It is, it is maybe only the representation of the true idol of whatever we're after, whether that's uh, comfort or ease or, or maybe uh, security or, or um, possessions, any of those things. I have a... Let, let's look at this, this passage uh, First of all, let me set the, the base context for the passage. When Paul began his missionary journeys, and there was controversy about whether his message to the Gentiles was the true message, he and Peter and John had a meeting, the, the leaders of Jerusalem had a meeting, and the one thing they ask of Paul is that he remembers the poor. In Galatians 2, he says, they ask me to remember the poor, which I was wont to do. I wanted to do that. And so in the early church, the, there were portions of the church that were under severe persecution during this time, including the church at Jerusalem. And um, there had been years of famine in Jerusalem, and there was a large number of widows and pilgrims <coughs> who came into town. Um, elderly Jewish families would often travel to Jerusalem to die there, so they'd be the first at hand for the resurrection. Jewish, and many of them became Christians. And so there was all these poor. And so uh, 
follow along in chapter 8. I'm going to begin reading uh, in verse... I have to get a bigger print Bible, I'm sorry. Um, Verse 8. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes... For your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. And then he goes on, he talks about Titus for the next portion, how Titus is going to be the one who collects it and brings it back. But now, now, uh, and, and then... He tells them, I know you guys, you guys want to help. You've said you want to help. Okay, now it's time to help. It's time to give now. And then we'll pick it up in verse, chapter 9, verse 6. Uh, We'll begin at verse 5 to get the context. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange it in advance for the gift that you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction or a tax. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So, Uh, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the need of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. This is a really fascinating portion of Scripture because apparently the people at Corinth had promised Paul they would give to the need when Paul was there before. And by the way, Paul told them how to do it. Paul, in, in the end of 1 Corinthians, Paul told them how they should collect it. it, it he, he made it so simple. He said, um, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given the order to the churches of Galatia, even so you, do you. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him, so that there won't be a gathering when I come. In, in the end of 1 Corinthians, he, said, he tells them, look, every Sunday, every time you gather, first day of the week, you gather together the money. That way, when I come back to you, we don't have to have a service where you give. It, you've already given. It's held in reserve, and we can send it. We don't have to mess with it then. And th- th- this is a powerful and profound piece of Scripture if you understand the fact 
that these are primarily Gentile Christians. They're people, they, they live hundreds of, a thousand, hundreds of miles away. I, I didn't know the exact mileage from Jerusalem, but they live far away from Jerusalem. They have, probably have no physical connection. Like they don't have Franschaft in Jerusalem. All they know is that there are Christians like them who are suffering in Jerusalem who need money, and you have the money. And so it, as a call to worship, as a call to the gospel, you should give. And the model that he uses to reflect giving is Jesus. Notice what he says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. He gave himself poor. He gave himself poor. In, in chapter 8, verse uh, 9. And so when we think about giving, what we do Sunday mornings here, and what you do uh, during the week in whatever way. And by the way, I thought for a while, should I be preaching this? I, as a part of my work, uh, I guess you could say I'm a professional fundraiser. I do this. Uh, I was trained by a very good fundraiser who, who told me that when you go out and ask people for money, you ask them, don't beat around the bush, say, we need money. He said, people want to know the needs and they'll give. And uh, I, I want to I bless our community in this. Did you know that Holmes County is the, the most giving community of any county in the state of Ohio? They give more to charity than any other county in the state of Ohio. So we have at least heard part of this message and said, yes, there are people all over the world and in, in our circles. Uh, but back to the, the fundraising. Some, sometimes people ask, well, aren't you embarrassed to ask for money? Uh, well, yes, sometimes I am. And you, you, you get this feeling when you ask people for money. You get a distinct feeling sometimes. Some of them are like, yes, I want to help. And it is a joyful place. And they're like, oh, you know, how much do you need? And, and it's like, oh. And you know, what it does is it causes mutual worship. And it reflects, it's a reflection of Jesus. Now, there are some people who you go to and say, huh, dich. you again. And they're like, ah, what do you got going now? You know, and, and I almost, I'm not at the point yet, but I want to say, you know what, I don't need your money. If you want to give it like that, I don't want, or, or when people attach strings to it. When they say, uh, now, are you going to make sure this is used for... Well, okay, so, so sometimes we have to do that in the nonprofit world. But, but according to this passage, now listen very carefully. According to this passage, one of the reflections of the people of God is that they give when there are needs. And they give out of what they have. Not out of their abundance, but out of what they have. The measure of giving, it, the measure of how much you should give is not based on what you have left over. According to Paul... It is, it is, it, the measure of giving is on what you have. And I was, I was wrestling with this and thinking about this and thinking about how does this all work. And I remember Narita and I uh, traveled with the SMBI choir. And we were in Nicaragua once. And we went to a day of worship at a radio station, a Christian radio station. They had this day of worship with worship music. And I, I will never forget, they passed the offering bucket twice in the hour and a half we were there. Um, and they passed the offering bucket down, and I thought, what are those people doing? And they were reaching into the offering bucket and taking money out. But I realized they were making change. 
So they put maybe a $100 bill in and take 40 bucks out. Now, you, one would hope that it was always in the... Well, no. If somebody needed that badly, they should take some out. Um, and it, it, I, I, I was confused. I'm this young... We're in our late 20s. And I was thinking, why do they do that? I mean, shouldn't they just give? And I was so naive. And afterwards, I asked Alan Roth, who was there with us, what are, what are these people doing? He said, many of them, that's all the money they have. And, and they're just taking... They're, they're, they want to give. They really want to give because they believe in Jesus. This is what he said. They believe in Jesus, and so they really want to give, but they need money for food for their life and for their family, so they're making change. And uh, repeatedly, people did it. And it, it suddenly struck me that they, they may actually understand giving better than we do because they're giving out of what they have rather than out of their abundance. And the people of God, according to Paul, give and give. You, you take care of your family. You take care of your family. But you, you're, you're, we're called to give. And by the way, this is much more than money. This is how we, how we live. It's how we reflect to each other. It's what, how we care for each other. And so when there are needs, we, we take care of each other. So the example of generosity that we see in this passage is Jesus. That is why we celebrate communion. We celebrate communion because we, we or we commemorate and we, we embrace communion because we are saying that Jesus, in all the wealth of heaven, in all the richness that he had there, chose to give all that up for me. For me. And I, we come down... As we file through, we take the bread. We remember how he gave his life for me. And um, so the example of generosity is Jesus. And the, the reason for generosity is that there should be an equality. Notice how often Paul says that, that, that it's not right that there are some Christians who are so dirt poor, who have nothing, and you have everything. So do you want to really reflect the kingdom of heaven? So, so someday when we get to heaven whatever that looks like when we get to heaven, will there, be, will there be a section where people have larger mansions because they had more money on earth? You know, because they could buy a head, uh, get their IRA ready in heaven? No. I mean, this is all going to burn up. And so Paul is saying, look, while we live on earth, we are called to reflect the kingdom of heaven. And when we reflect the kingdom of heaven... When we do that, how we do that is by giving to each other so that there is an equality. It's also how if you know something, uh, if you have something to teach that is worthy of the kingdom, it, it, it is wrong of you to consume that upon yourself. It's money, it's our, our talents, our gifts, it's everything. And so we're called to give because what that, cre- that then creates is an equality. So, so, the, so the example of generosity is Jesus. The reason for our generosity is that there be an equality. My uh, friend Merle Burkholder, they lived in, I mean, you may have heard me say this, but I'll say it again. They lived in Haiti for a couple, uh, two years, once when they were on sabbatical, and they chose to live as much like the people as they could. And one Sunday morning, they got to church, and the pastor said, um, after the normal ser- service we are going to have a singing service this afternoon. And Merle th- thought to himself, you know, what saints these people are. And, it, and the pastor went on to say, I know that we're at the end of the 
dry, the dry season, and most of you do not have enough food in the house to have lunch. And gnawing stomachs are eased when we sing. And Merle sat there, he, he said he sat there and he thought, there are all these North American Christians sitting in their churches. And part of it is sometimes we don't know the need. Sometimes we don't have the vehicle to get the need there. But yet there, 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 there should be more fairness in the kingdom of God, more equality in the kingdom of God. And we who have much have a responsibility to give to those who do not have as much. Now, so how much should you give? How much should you give? So, so um, in, the, in the Old Testament, they had the tithe. The, the, the New Testament is not specific. In the New Testament, the tithe is not specifically taught because Jesus assumes that you're going to give more than 10%. That's the minimum, he says, in essence. Um, and I am not here to quibble about whether that's be pre-tax or post-tax. You know, so what? That, that to me is a question of law that the Pharisees would have brought up. You know what, God, you, you ask God what you should give. And, and think about what, you, what can I give up to give. So one of the stories I thought about a great deal as, as I was thinking about this is Jesus' example um, that when he was watching people give at the temple and he watches a widow drop in her two pennies and then a wealthy man come and give a whole lot more. And Jesus essentially asks his followers, who gave more? Who gave more? The widow. He ends up by saying, the widow gave more in her two pennies than the man who gave a great deal. Because she gave out of, it, it cost her something to give. And he gave out of his leftover. And so I think the New Testament asks us to give, to give, and to give. I heard Dan Lobby a week and a half ago say, he wants to live his life, and I, I love this, he wants to live his life giving. That means money, it means giving to people. He wants to give his life giving so that he, he crashes into heaven having spent everything that God had given him here on earth and he gets to enjoy heaven in a much bigger way. Now that, that doesn't mean you should not have money saved up for the future. Let's not, just, let's not go to these places of law where we try to figure out what we can keep. Ask God what you should give. But I think that at the minimum, God is expecting us to support the cause of the local church and the ministries that we love and appreciate and speak to in a, in a big way. If you're called to work and make money, then you're also called to give to those places where they're not able to do those kinds of things. And then he says, uh, and this is kind of, a, well, let's kind of end with this. It says, it's kind of a, God loves a cheerful giver. Do you know what the Greek word is, the base Greek word for cheerful? Hilarios. It means belly laugh. <laughs> you know, this deep laugh out of the deep. God loves a person who gives with a belly laugh, who gives cheerfully, who gives 
Because he, he can. He's able to. They are able to. God loves a giver who, who says, Ah, this is what I get to give back. I'll take care of my needs and this is what I get to give back. And again, this is much, much more than money. Although money is a reflection of how we live otherwise. Now, I just, I just want to also talk about this. Like, the point is, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. I've been thinking about this passage, and I, I've, in, in our own lives, I have many accounts of where we thought, if we give, this is going to be really difficult to give. I have many lessons in, that I've learned. But again, this is much more than just money. Although I do remember one time when we were at SMBI, we, were, uh, we, we did not make much money. In the earlier part of our life, we did not make much money. Um, and one time I remember having $35. 35 bucks. That's all we had. And somebody expressed a need, and I felt... And I don't know if this was right or not. I felt very clearly that we should give the $35. I had 35 bucks cash and very little in checking, I, a few bucks. And I, but, I mean, our food was taken care of there, so I guess that was okay. So I gave the $35 to the cause, and I walked into the school and walked up to the mailboxes school, and somebody had sent an envelope. And I pulled out the envelope, and there was $70 in the envelope. What's 35 times 2? 70 Again, that's not what God is promising here. God is not promising that if you give $1,000, next week you'll make 2000 Because, see, that is all. Then you're giving to make God give back to you, which is exactly what he's saying. It isn't, we are called to give, to sow into the kingdom of God, to take seed, whether that's money or gifts or talents. We sow those, and then we get to reap the harvest we may not even see it in our lifetime. There have been many occasions where I have asked God for something and, and uh, I, I've tried to manipulate God and said, God, I'll give a hundred bucks if, if you give us this. You know, that, that's just wrong. That's trying to use God. And that's not what God is about. God wants us to give. So when we pass the offering buckets on su- Sunday morning, think about this. Think about if I give this money wh- and and. We as nonprofits and churches have a responsibility to use that money well. If you have a problem with how we use it, come see us. But when you give to the cause of the kingdom, you're giving to something much bigger, something more powerful. And that's what Paul's trying to convey to them, these people. He's saying, when you give to the cause of the kingdom, the saints back in Jerusalem are going to rejoice. Those who are under persecution are going to rejoice, and the kingdom will be built. Maybe the lack of giving that we sometimes experience in our own lives and in our church's lives is built around the fact that we don't think the kingdom of God is big enough to conquer the world. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, it is. It will be what sustains us to the very end. So <clears throat> I am not here to tell you that next you should calculate your money and give 10%. Maybe you should. Maybe that's what God is asking you. I'm asking you to think about what can I give for, because of the wonderful way that Jesus has given to me. Jesus has, he came to earth. In a few minutes, we're going to celebrate the fact that he was willing to come. He had, he had the golden streets of heaven. He had everything he could have, you can ever imagine. 
He left that, and he became a carpenter's son. Destitute, dirty portion of the world, backwoods portion of Israel. And he lived there, and he gave to his people, and then he died for you and me. And in doing that, he sets an example of giving. So give your life along with your money. At the end of the day, giving is worship. Every t- we do it at the right place. When we pass the bucket during our first song, we're saying it is now worship time, and I worship by giving. Let's stand together. Lord Jesus, Thank you for the gift that, of you. Thank you that you came and you gave. I pray that as we, um, as we remember your gift to us in the cross, in your death, and then in your resurrection, in the next few minutes, I pray that we would, uh, we would think about how we can give back to the kingdom of God and how, what you're calling us to do to give, both in our lives and with money. In the name of Jesus, our King, we say thank you. Amen.